Hey there, folks, and welcome to the Entrepreneur Circle, where we built a community that shares lessons learned throughout our journeys, celebrate wins, our eureka moments, and embrace the F word, meaning failure, which I've come to realize that failure is success in progress. I'm Eric Cabral, your host, a husband, a father of two brilliant girls, and I've been called a heart-centered entrepreneur by my peers and mentors. My mission in life is to make the world a better place, one mic at a time. So I'm happy and humble to have you join in on that mission. And I hope that by the end of the show, we would have added value in your life. So if you're ready to jump into the circle, let's get to it. Hey, I'm so glad you're here because I don't often get the opportunity to share with you exactly what I do and what we do here at On Air Brands. So we help the folks in our community and our clients to launch a podcast and then produce them on a weekly basis. We also help to promote each episode with close to a dozen social media posts that consist of quote cards, sound bites, and video clips. And then we post them for you on your socials automatically. So if you're a business owner with a ton on your plate and a podcast just seems super overwhelming, I get it. We don't need one more thing to worry about. So let me and my team at On Air Brands do the heavy lifting each week so that you can focus on what you do best, which is to build your business, have more time to pour into your family and your community, or just plain chill and recharge. So feel free to email me at eric at On Air Brands so that we can book time together to chat about how we can align with your mission and how you can align with ours, which is to make the world better one mic at a time. Now back to the show. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Entrepreneur Circle. I'm your most happy and humbled host as usual. I have a really cool person for you to learn from and to appreciate. He's got a ton on his plate and he has done a ton in life where we can pull some value and some lessons learned. I want to welcome my good buddy, Hans Struzina. How are you, brother? You nailed it, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> you know what? I, I typically ask before the cameras turn on, like, am I pronouncing it correctly? I'm like, no, I'm just going to roll with this one. You just went for it. Yeah. <laughs> so many people try to add extra syllables in my name. And <laughs> but I'll you say, got it. The cheat code is I've heard you say your name. So, yeah, that's yeah, a good point. That's probably the best way to find it, I guess. Uh, people always mess up my name. Too. Straight from the source, man. Straight yeah. from the source. Exactly, exactly. So for those of you who don't know, Hans is one of the top real estate agents on the East Bay's uh, Wall Street Journal Top 100 team. So East Bay in Oakland, Berkeley, California area. He's a realtor partner at the Gunderman Group. He's also mm -hmm. in the top 1.5% of real estate agents in that East Bay area. And he's top 10% of real estate agents in all of Northern California. So no small fate there, dude. Uh, congrats on that. Thank but you. Also sold almost and probably above, I maybe need to update this brother, $100 million in property over the last several years. But you probably don't know this or you know him best for being an Olympian who competed in the 2016 Rio de Janeiro, Rio, Rio, I should have practiced that one, Rio de Janeiro, <laughs> Brazil on the US rowing team. Mm -hmm. uh, so dude, man, that's, I love that. And I want to get into a little bit of that, but Definitely. he's also a GoBro, 
fellow GoBundance member that, um, you know, we've gotten an opportunity to meet, chat and shake hands and hug in person. And he's also one of the few friends that I have that actually has a Wikipedia page. <laughs> so yeah, Rob, welcome to the show, man. And I did not make my own Wikipedia page. Someone made that. I don't know where that came from, but you join the Olympic team and you get a Wikipedia page as it turns out. Yeah, that's amazing, dude. Amazing. Yeah, I don't know. If he, can you make your own Wikipedia page? I, I thought that you're, that's not allowed. You can't do that. I haven't even tried. But now that it's there, I'm, I'm trying to edit it a little bit and add a few things. But <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. That's so funny. But yeah, brother, let's let's jump into it, man. I, I want to start with the first question and segment of the show, which is sharing a eureka moment in your life. Gosh. Um, you know, when I was filling out that 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 form that you sent me to prep for the show, I was thinking about this. And a eureka moment for me that really came to light as I was sort of typing away was the very first business that I ever started. And it's sort of silly to call it a business, but that's really what it was in its infancy. Um, was me washing cars and power washing sidewalks and you know patios and decks and so forth in my neighborhood. I you know marketing started by creating flyers, printing them out on the computer and just went around the I lived in like a circle development off of a main street, just dropped flyers off at every house, car washing, power washing and I ended up having you know three neighbors within a couple days take me up on it. And I ended up detailing their cars and or um, power washing their patios because I lived in the Pacific Northwest. And that's what you do in the summer is you clean off all the junk from the from the winter. And then uh, ended up through that summer, you know, making a couple hundred dollars, which at, you know, 12 or 10 or however old I was, big, big deal because the alternative was to go like work at the golf course or something. Uh, caddying or or cleaning carts or something for minimum wage, and you know that my dad was the one who really kind of said always said like try to work for yourself, be an entrepreneur, don't have a boss. And then I I was like okay conceptually that makes sense. How does that look? You know you start this little business, and at twelve years old, it clicked for me as like oh you can make money by putting a service out, performing it, getting the tools together, and then doing a really good job. And then people tip you, of course. It helped that I was you know, cute and did a good job at the time. Um, and, and if you work hard and hustle and over-deliver for people, they're going to pay you really well. Um, and so that just sunk in. And from then on, I knew that I was always going to be something entrepreneurial, probably sales-related probably real estate related. My dad's a real estate attorney. My uncles are developers. My other uncle is um, owns rental properties and is an architect and has his own firm, you know, so forth and so on. So I had this sort of on the fringe. But that first moment when that when when that cash was handed to me was really what sort of cemented that concept in my mind. And I've just uh, run with it ever since. And I mean, I've never had a W-2 except for the W-2 I technically pay myself now through my S corporation. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Definitely helpful. I know uh, you mentioned to me that that your parents are both entrepreneurs. So that conversation 
I'm sure was was very common in the house, you know, like, hey, don't work for someone and, you know, work for yourself. And what, what were some of those things that you remember, like any any lessons learned? What, what was the business that your mother was in as well? She had a, a dental practice. She was a periodontist and ended up having a practice. I think it was five or eight people in total between other uh, other practitioners and then back office folks. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I was. I she retired, sold that practice when I think I was like ten or eight or something in that world. So I I was young um, to be a stay at home mom. And then that was about the time my dad's. Mm. Uh, law practice was taking off because he started at some of the big firms and eventually went out on his own and they sort of went like this and swapped. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I had those influences at different points. Consciously, it was more my dad because I was growing up, maturing and seeing him run his own business. The thing that he taught me was obviously, you know, work for yourself, learn a skill, do something of value work for yourself. And then as he progressed, a lot of his clients, a lot of his business partners at various points were people who developed real estate at a very high level. And I was hearing more and more about how much money they were making and how their lifestyles were. And then we'd go to their houses and we'd see that. And then I was just like, Oh, I see where this can go. And I see the next level and the next level. Um, But yeah, there was consistently a desire to to be entrepreneurial and and a work for yourself improve your skills find good partners and people to to do business with and the other thing that he always taught me which i've tried to take to heart um is basically it's like leave something on the table for the next person or the other side of the transaction depending on what's important there and he's like, I've never overcharged anybody. Like his rates, he always said were like absurdly low. He could have doubled them and it still would have been okay. But he was doing really well and he had an abundance of business. And then he would eventually raise his rates and raise his rates. Um, but as a result, he also got opportunities to get in the door and do basically roll his fees into ownership of some of these larger deals, which are now a huge part of his retirement. Um, which he wouldn't have ever had the opportunity to do if he was just looking at, you know, the the dollar for hour thing. And so not that he built and scaled this huge practice per se, but he that principle sort of rang true for me is like, how do you provide more value? And then like you take a little bit less today, but then the the long term you can you can get a lot more if you if you are effective in that in that way. Yeah. Yeah, so it's great to you. You had the foundation. You had, you know, obviously a great mentor and inspiration, right? Right at home, literally. Uh, so, I'm guessing that you had some, some, some more of those type of jobs, some odd jobs here and there as you were growing up. What, where did the rowing come in in terms of like being a passion for you and starting to pursue that goal? Because that's a massive goal, dude. And, and yeah, yeah, I always identified as an athlete even though I was like the last kid to grow <laughs> in my grade. Um, I played football, basketball, all the normal sport, track, everything that everyone tries at some point who wants to do sports. And, uh, and in, I think it was around fifth grade, I was a great football player, was best guy on the team or, or darn close. And then sixth grade rolled around and it came back for tryouts and everyone had grown and I hadn't. Mm-hmm. And so quickly that that 
I let that get in the way of my basketball football career. And in retrospect, I could have grown into it if I would have kept practicing, but I just lost the fire for it. And um, in Seattle, the Seattle area where I grew up, rowing is is really well known. It's one of the oldest sports at the University of Washington, as well as it's very visible because you know, the whole uh, geography sort of centers around bodies of water. The freeways go over them. There's bridges. They go next to them. So you can physically see it. And there's a big boating culture there. And so we had friends who were in rowing at different capacities. And they encouraged my parents to sign us up as a family for like private lessons on Lake Sammamish and just give it a shot. And so we went out and did it like three or four times together. Um just as like a summer activity to get out of the house and do something together. And the coaches who was our private coach decided to try and recruit us as, as one does <laughs> as a coach would. And so I did the summer rec program. And then I, again, wasn't, I wasn't going into basketball or football or whatever. So I decided to join the rec team. Um, so it was a club team in the fall season. And I found quickly that I, had I was good at it. I was naturally sort of built for rowing. Um, I didn't like it in the beginning, but it took me the better part of a year to sort of figure out what the sport was about and um, the teamwork, the heart, you know, the individual part of it, the fun of like winning a race, the the agony of losing one. And I just it eventually clicked after that first year. And that's when I realized like this is what I wanted to do. And uh and just poured myself into it and sort of the rest is history. Wow. That's wild, dude. So yeah. So what was the age range? You said sixth grade. So what, what is that? 12? Uh, I think I started. Yeah. So that sounds about right. But I was, I, I started rowing when I was 14, I believe, mm. um, which is pretty typical. Um, it's a, it's a low impact sport. It's not like football, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but your back takes a lot of, the it's like weightlifting, like light weightlifting all yeah. the time. That's like what rowing is. It's like a power clean, and um, and so from a from a you know disc and back health perspective, you know kids are starting earlier now. But at the time, the common idea was like as a freshman, that's even a little bit too young. Now people are starting in like seventh and eighth grade, mm. um, which you know no judgment there, but it's you got to do it right if you're going to start that early. But, um, but yeah, I was 14, so going into my sophomore year and uh, found some success early on and then had some coaches who saw something in me and poured into me. And then I started to pour back into it. And then it just was the cycle. And, and then I hit this growth spurt that really helped. So I had this like work ethic, this chip on my shoulder, grew, <laughs> got into the sport, really started to love it, realized that I had talent and I was really pretty good at it. And this might be a ticket to college and then who knows what. Wow. Oh, okay. This is crazy, dude. So you started, you had the the passion and the drive for it, which I imagine also, you know, heavily influenced by your household and like that drive as an entrepreneur. So then you focus that in your internal talents and you got recognition and validation from your coaches. And then boom, all of a sudden you, like turn into Schwarzenegger or Van Damme or whoever it yeah. is, right? At the time. And that, that, that was, I'm glad you brought that up, the age, because 
um, my wife uh, would have qualified to be in the Olympics as a swimmer, but decided not to go. And she was like, I'm kind of glad I didn't because she was talking about <laughs> in a superficial way what her body would have transformed into. Now, of mm-hmm. course, you know, years and years later, she would have been fine. But um, I imagine you, I mean, you're your freaking back, your your delts, everything, but yeah. your your arms. I mean, it must have been ridiculous. And when you started to develop and you started to grow and you started to gain more strength, yeah, you 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 saw it as a ticket. You said you saw it as a ticket to like a, a, a full scholarship or some portion of your scholarship. Like how did that all start to play out? As you can imagine, there's there's not a terribly deep pocket <laughs> of money to pay for rowing because it's not a revenue driver at, at really any institution. UW has a as a large endowment, um, as do a, a few of the other big rowing schools, historical rowing schools. Um, on the women's side, it's become much more uh, possible to to gain scholarships with Title IX and just the growth of the sport in general. Men's too, but not not to the same level as the the women's side. Um, so it's a huge opportunity for women, but even when I was going through, um, still not the same level as it is today, not even close. But I wanted to go to the University of Washington. That was the local school right across the lake. I grew up in the east side and went over there. And uh, that's the only school I applied to. And I was... And and luckily, it was in-state tuition, you know, as opposed to... It was, I don't know, half of whatever the out-of-state cost was, something like that. So they they basically gave me the blue chip to like tag the, the athletic department tagged my application is like, as long as this guy sort of meets criteria, push him through. And I wasn't a particularly good SAT score. I was fine. I was like very much in the mix, but not outstanding by any means. Decent GPA. I was like, a, I don't know, three, seven or whatever, but it, the school was getting very competitive. So that's really what I was hoping was that you know, that opportunity to get one of those blue chips, and I did get it, um, helped me get into the university. And I probably would have been a bubble, you know, academically speaking, if I didn't have rowing. And so um, got in there and then ended up earning uh, a scholarship after the fact, down the road a couple years later, small scholarship, not a huge one. Um, but really, it was the opportunity to go be part of this program that's been in existence for over a hundred years and um, ended up winning two national championships and countless races and you know have a have a place on that on that timeline. That was something that compelled me to want to be be there personally. Mm. And then at what point does the conversation start where they're like, hey man, this can go to the next level? So our program to this day still does, but at the time was really recruiting a lot of Canadians. Um, we started to recruit from Europe, from Australia. We had a very diverse team. And uh, a lot of these guys were on their junior and under 23 national teams. A few guys had been on their various Olympic teams. And I was beating many, if not all of them, on a regular basis in practice. And I realized like, hey, if if I can compete with some of these guys who've been to the Olympics or been on their national teams, earn medals at the next level, like I I should uh, this we should give this a shot. Like what the heck? Mm. And, and you know it was 
it was that at that point that I realized like, yeah, this is something that I want to pursue. So I started um, going to the under 23 camps and applying to that, uh, made two under 23 teams, went to the under 23 world championships a couple summers. And um, so basically, it's like the college national championship is done. You come home, do finals, pack your stuff, get on an airplane to go to California or go to Oklahoma City or Princeton, New Jersey, wherever the team is based that summer, try out, make the first cut, move again, you know, go put the boats together. And then, and then a couple of weeks later, you go to the, uh, to world championships in Europe is generally where they are. Um, and ended up getting on the scene and realizing what that was all about. And like, I mean, I just kind of went for it <laughs> at that point and realized like, after I'm done with my eligibility, I'm going to go for the 2012 Olympics, uh, the ones in London. I'm going to give a shot to that. And then pr- I'm going to, you know, probably go for Rio 2016 after that as well. So I just sort of mentally extended my runway uh, once I realized that this is something I wanted to pursue. Mm, yeah. I see you spent time here too as well, because I was going to mention, uh, you said, it's not a big revenue generator for universities, but I live near Princeton. So I'm like, you, you spent time there, right? I always see those guys and, uh, you know, it's super inspiring uh, to watch you guys. Yeah, I, I, I lived there in 2015 from September 2015 off and on until the Olympics in 2016. Mm, yeah. So that's where the, at the time, that's where the team was based and now they've moved. And anyways. Yeah. I do. This is so fascinating. I, I, I don't think I've ever interviewed an Olympian before, to be honest. And I think when we met, uh, you know, a year or so ago, I was like, man, I got to talk to you about this. I only know there's a lot of business that we could uh, uncover and lessons learned. I want to tie that in when we can. But I want to highlight too, though, uh, during your, your, your Olympic experience, you also met the love of your life, correct? Yeah. Um, didn't necessarily know it at the time, but uh, so I went, I, I did not make the London team. I was cut. I think different coach, different circumstances. Maybe I would have, maybe I didn't, I don't know, but this guy didn't like young guys. He thought you had to put more time in. And I think I, I think I suffered as a result of that, his system, I just didn't jive with it. And that's fine. That's just what it was. Um, I was in the mix certainly, but I just didn't come out the other side on top. Um, and I learned a lot from that process. And, and then I went home, finished a couple credits that I needed to finish up to, to finalize the degree at UW and then realized that I wanted to do something a little different. And so there's basically a camp system and a club system camp. You have to physically be in one location. You're part of the training center, quote unquote. Um, and you have the, the shoe in, not the shoe in, but you have the priority boats coming out of there. And so they're picking boats out of a pool of athletes. Whereas the camp system or the club system, I mean, you go in our, my case, I came down to California. There are others throughout the country. And then you form boats out of anyone you want in the whole country. You show up to trials and you, if you win trials, you earn that spot at that time. Um, so it's much more entrepreneurial versus W2, if you will, 1099 versus W2 in the <laughs> rowing sense. Right. And right. I chose that, that. Um, more independent path because I just didn't want to deal with the politics of of trying to work my way through a group. Um, 
And I wasn't convinced that the culture was particularly healthy. So I went a different direction. And that's... So we were at this camp or this club. It was a men and women's club. And that's where my now wife, Kristen, was training. And that's where we got to know each other. And, um, you know, we spent time physically training together, but also then, you know, socially. And then we started to have this connection. And then, um, you know, we started going out after practice and all that fun stuff. And it just started to snowball. And there was this, I mean, she got it, you know, like she understood rowing at a high level. She had been to the London Olympics. Um, she totally, you know, so there was just this understanding that we're both pursuing this rowing's first relationship second. Um, and we're going to support each other. And, and then once rowing was over, that shifted and we realized like, oh, there's actually so much more to each other. Um, you know, we were into real estate together now, real estate investing well before that. She has her license. She's joined me in sales. So there's just so many alignments. And we can kind of go back to that mental um, side of like what it was like rowing. And I don't have to explain anything to her. I just tell her this one thing and she's like, she knows, you know, because she was physically there. Yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of, you know, uh, terms, phrases, you know, that you can liken to business and life. And she's like, oh, yeah, I get that. Like, or, or analogies. Yeah. Are there any that you could share that line up with, you know, what you guys are doing in business that you always use? And it's like an inside sort of reference for you guys. Yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, truly cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways. And there's one like team team organizational structure. Um, U.S. Rowing as an organization, in my opinion, is is completely backwards and and really does not serve the athletes that it's trying to serve. I think it's very self centered organization, and I think um, everyone who's been through that system really understands that. And on the athlete side, I don't necessarily think that everyone on the decision making side gets that part. Um, so when we're building our team or we're, you know, interacting with our team members on the Gunderman group or what have you, we draw some of these analogies of like, how was it done on a low performing team, i.e. US rowing? Um, or how was it done on our, we both won national championships in college. How did we do it in college? What, wh- why did that work? Why did US rowing not work? And then how can we apply that to our business and our group and our, in the two of us, our individual team as well? And, um, and, and so that's just, you know, one simple example, but that's a, that's a very powerful one that we've, we've used as like, this worked, this didn't work. Why? And then how do we take the best practices from both and then move forward? Yeah. So good, dude. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> be having that history together and then also, um, me being able to run business together and and I've seen you guys and watch you guys on YouTube and you, you play well, you have obviously uh, you're, you're married, so you have chemistry, but um, it's always good to, to, to have that sync, you know, no, no pun intended. Um, uh, can you, can you draw some of the, um, some of the, some of the things that you learned growing up and especially in that field um, as an athlete, you know, whether it be discipline or routines and things of that nature that definitely lent itself well to, to help you with the success of you know, the Gunderman group and what you guys are doing. Uh, being coachable, number one, it's, you know, taking feedback and applying it really quickly. Cause when you're physically in the boat, 
you know, you get the instant feedback when a coach tells you to do something or change something, you can feel the difference almost immediately. And so that sort of audio, do this, internalize it, fix the physical thing that you're doing, and then get the boat to move better. Like that is that sort of neural pathway is huge for me and for her for that matter. Um, and then, you know, just learning quickly, because if you didn't, you, you would lose, <laughs> you would physically lose the race, you would lose your seat, you would lose favor with the coach. So you just had to adapt quickly. Um, those two things I attribute a ton of my success to is like, learn fast, apply it immediately, and and keep iterating on it and keep doing what's working and lose what isn't. Hugely important. Um, being comfortable, being uncomfortable is another one. Like it, it physically, I have never been. I mean, you know, you go into a listing appointment or you you negotiate an offer and it's physically uncomfortable, but it's never as uncomfortable as some of the races that I had done or the workouts that I had done, and how to like separate the emotional reaction to physical discomfort. Um is important because if you're in a race and it's tight in and your natural reaction is to like shorten up or get you know physically tight you know that's you slow down and you lose and so you have to like consciously fight against that physical reaction and the same thing is very much said when it gets uncomfortable or overwhelming in business um obviously it's not an immediate the stakes aren't as immediate as in a race but nonetheless, being able to disconnect that is is very important. Um, and then, you know, taking care of your body, taking care of your mind, knowing how to rest, how to how to recover physically, mentally, emotionally, like that recovery period after the fact is, I think, just as important in knowing my body, knowing what's happening, how I'm responding or not to something. I mean, I don't think a lot of people talk about that for business, but it I think that is hugely applicable as well. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's definitely unpack some of that, dude. Because um, I recently experienced something like that. You know, when you're working so hard and you're burning the midnight oil, it's not sustainable. And eventually, something's going to give. And in my case, it's typically it shows up as a migraine or back pains. It manifests itself in physical form. Yeah, but I had to like chill and like do stretches and yoga and workouts to get out of it. So yeah, talk about that. You're right. People don't talk about recovery or even the red flags that lead up to you having to (laughs) recover. Right. It's funny. I had, um, I was, I was seeing a therapist for a while when I was leave after I left the Olympics to kind of deal with the transition of the next thing. And he was a big mindfulness guy. And so we would do a lot of like mindfulness activities, like meditation and other stuff. And, and I was like, dude, every time you tell me to meditate, my head throbs. It's like, he's like, what if you're just now noticing the fact that your head has been throbbing for like five years? And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, you, our bodies tell us a lot about what's going on. And I've just had a lot of reps at like knowing how I feel when I wake up in the morning, knowing how to like push through something that's uncomfortable and knowing the difference between injured and just hurt, basically. Like, am I just a little sore? Am I a little tight today? Or is there actually something wrong? You know, that's one example. You know, I think a lot of people get under stress and it manifests in, like you said, migraines, back pains. 
you know, stress in your shoulders, just in your gut, whatever, something like that. And, and if you don't listen to those cues and signs and then adjust and change something, you know, you're like, that's step number one for burnout. But if you can start to handle some of that kind of stuff and realize that there might be a physical remedy, like, um, you know, stretching yoga, you might just need to go take a walk. You might need to just drink some water. You know, there's some basic stuff, right? That physically, we this is your 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 vehicle, your engine. Um, your brain is obviously part of it too, but you can solve a lot of your a lot of those problems um, or overcome them through like physical exercise or something you're doing to your body that will change the way that you feel. Yeah, that's so true. Because I know you mentioned, um, you know, some of the things that you learned you know, athlete, you know, and, and transitioning to business owner and how, how they overlap, you know, the emotional aspect of it and being able to separate from the physical uh, reactions that you have, but then also the mental game. That's massive, right? The, what's some of the things that you would do to mentally prepare before a meet or a competition or even the, <laughs> the freaking Olympics? Yeah. Um, for me, it was all about regret or, or basically avoiding regret. Like, when I would get nervous for a race, number one, you have to recognize that if you're nervous, it's a good thing because it means you care. It means that you actually want something. It doesn't mean you like everyone's nervous when they go to race. No one, there's not anyone who isn't. Um, and you have to like deal with the fact, like same thing with butterflies. You're, everyone has butterflies. The difference is how you deal with it. Are you going to just let them go kind of all over the place and make you jittery and freak out? Or are you going to like send that all in one direction? In in our case, it was easy. Like we had a lane 2000 meters long, send it there, send it that direction and just work on that first stroke into that second stroke and make sure that you're sending all that energy in one direction. You know, some guys would say like, they'd just be too worked up and they'd have to go do two by one minute full power just to take the edge off before they even got in the boat to go race the race, just to take that one, 2% out of themselves so that they could be effective when it came to racing. You know, some guys, like another thing you'll see if you ever watch any kind of a race, especially an endurance race, people are yawning at the start line that doesn't mean that's actually not a good thing. That means that person's going to fall off in about a minute to a minute and a half because their body's not naturally breathing and their, their natural reaction, their body knows they're about to go do something really intense. And so they're trying to suck as much air in, in that last few minutes as possible. So if you're going into something stressful like that, like learning how to breathe, understanding that your body needs to pack some oxygen in there sort of thing. And like, again, back to that physical versus mental stuff. Like if you're, you know, if you're, if you're working on a deal or you're underwriting something or you're in a negotiation and you're feeling like you're yawning all of a sudden, it might just because you're not breathing. Wow. That's good, man. Holy moly. Such great perspective, you know, that you pass on to 99.9% of us who have never (laughs) been in a situation uh, like that, dude. And, um, man, time's, time's flown by. I, um, uh, I didn't realize we were going to spend so much time during your experience there, but it's fascinating, dude. It's just so fascinating. And I feel like I could devote, uh, another couple episodes to asking more questions about this, but I do want to get to the last segment of the show or the, uh, wind down to the last couple of questions. And that is embracing the F word. 
meaning failure. So if you could share some lesson that you learned that, uh, that we can benefit. Totally. Um, this one, the easy one, since we've been talking about rowing so much, um, is my Olympic experience. We we finished fourth. We were like a second and something out of the medals. And, uh, you know, that at the time was a massive failure in my opinion. And I'd mentioned that I went to therapy. I also had a life coach at a different point in the 18 to 24 months after the games. And I carried with me this concept of failure around my Olympic experience for a year and a half at least. And I eventually reframed that concept into essentially like, am I going to let a five and a half minute race uh, versus a 12 plus year rowing career define the entire thing as a failure? And when you put it in that kind of perspective, the answer is that would be kind of idiotic. If I just told you that fact, it was one race defined 12 years as a failure. That being said, it was the Olympic final. So it's kind of like a big deal. Um, and hard to, to divorce those two things because your whole life feels like it's leading in this direction. But that's ultimately what I, what I did is I, I saw it as a failure. We were the first ones not to medal. The Dutch were third. We had beaten the Dutch pretty soundly in the rep just two days before. Didn't have our best race as a as a boat and you know ended up just you know the wind came in from the side it, we didn't handle it all super well um it it you know and at the end of the day you got to perform in that moment and that's what it comes down to and that's how we define winning and losing in sports it's just there's no other way to do it because there's so many people who could win a gold medal or at least a medal at the olympics who were sitting in the b final it's just you watch the olympics like you're not watching necessarily the best athletes, although chances are you are. You're, you're watching the ones who are performing perfectly in this moment. Those are the ones who are standing on the podium. A lot of other people had the capacity to get there, but for whatever reason, politics, uh, you know, nerves, whatever, they didn't get there. And so I had to redefine that for myself and, and really realize I had done everything I could do Physically, I don't think I could have squeezed much more out of myself physically. I weighed 217 pounds uh, when I raced the Olympic final. I've lost almost 25 pounds since then. Like I'm not a huge frame uh, compared to some of the other guys, but I, I packed a lot in, in and I got a lot out of my capacity. And I know that I couldn't have done any better in the preparation. And so once I started to focus on that kind of stuff, it put the whole thing into perspective. And um, I wouldn't have that perspective had I not failed, quote unquote, uh, in the Olympics. And now I try to take that into business, life, etc. Yeah, dude. So, so freaking powerful what you just said and what you shared there. Thank you so much for the vulnerability and 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 sort of the the zeros and ones behind how you reframed the story. I mean, this applies to everything in life, bro. Like I was literally just having a conversation with this, um, with my wife and it, 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 you know, pain comes from the story we tell ourselves, right? And we relive the story. I can't even imagine the nightmares you were replaying it over and over and over and over while you're sleeping, while you're awake. And once you got past that and you've reframed the story to you know, one race versus a 12 year rowing career and what I became and 
mentally, physically, emotionally, everything that you gain from it. So, 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 so powerful, dude. Um, yeah, man. Whew. That was, that was so good. I'm going to actually replay that. That, that needs to be the, that needs to be the, <laughs> the highlight of the show right there, man. Cause it's, it's so powerful, but, uh, thank you, dude. Thanks for this. I want people to reach out to you, but before that, in one word, how do you help people? How do I help people? The, the word that's coming to my head is perspective. Mm. Like what I just described, I think if I can reframe what I've deemed as like a massive failure at the Olympic level, uh, I think it's possible for anyone to do it at any level. And I hope that the story that I've shared has given some perspective to folks going through whatever it is they're going through. And I think if you, in general, if you back out of it and get objective, you get a coach, you get someone to just kind of help you zoom out a little bit, um, that will that will help you put things in context. And in general, it's probably not as bad as you actually think it is. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much. Perspective is great. Uh, we didn't get an opportunity to jump too much into into your business, but I do want to highlight anyone who is moving to the Bay Area uh, in California, reach out to Hans. What's the best way that they can do that? Uh, I You can put my email and my phone number in the show notes. Um, you, you can also type in uh, hansstrazina.com. Actually, we have our new website. My wife and I, it's Hans and Kristen, which is K-R-I-S-T-I-N with an I, uh, .com. And that will take you to our website. We've got all our contact information up there. Brilliant. Brilliant. Awesome, brother. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for the stories. Thanks for all those lessons learned, man. I, I really, really enjoyed having this conversation and look forward to seeing you at the next GoPro event. Thank you for having me on, man. Appreciate you. Anytime, brother. That's it for now, folks. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can contact me directly at eric at onairbrands.com. That's eric, E-R-I-K, at onairbrands.com. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast platform. And please recommend us to one or two people in your circle. That will go a long, long way to growing our community. Also, if you could rate us on iTunes, just take a moment uh, to give us five stars. And if they have more stars, give all of them. We'd greatly appreciate you for that. And always, always like, subscribe, and share, share, share this show on social media. We'd love you for that as well. And if you have any ideas or want to hear something on a future show, please hit us up. Maybe you have a question for one of my guests or you want to uh, tell a story, a success story. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that, especially if you're on the Anchor platform. You can leave us a voice message. We'd love to incorporate you and your voice on a future episode. Once again, folks, thanks again for listening to the Entrepreneur Circle. Please like, subscribe, and share, share, share. I am Eric Cabral, and as always, remember, your network is your net worth. So get in the circle. Yeah.